Tech. To get up and get going, South Coast, it's time for the Tim Weisberg Show on WBSM. Also streaming live on WBSM.com and on the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message or a voicemail through the WBSM app. And now, ready to start your day off with a bang, it's Tim Weisberg. Good morning. Happy Friday to you. Welcome into the program. Hope your day is starting off well, even if it's starting off a little chilly. And uh, we've got a lot that we can talk about today. Later on in the show, in the 8 o'clock hour, right after the 8 o'clock news, we will be joined by New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad and Ward 3 Councilor Sean Oliver. We will talk about what happened in the special meeting of the City Council earlier this week with the executive session. We'll find out um, about Council President Morad's decision to have people leave the building. And we'll talk about some other things as well, uh, including last night's meeting at the wastewater plant uh, regarding the T Omega Wind research project. And uh, I didn't get a chance to go to the meeting. I was the Thursday night's my bowling night and I've missed a whole bunch and I am going to miss a couple more before the end of the season. So I couldn't really miss. Uh, but the and I kind of wish I had because we just got destroyed and I did not bowl well. But if you went to the meeting, I'd be interested in hearing what your thoughts were about it, what you thought about what went on, what the discussion points were, because my assumption is that T Omega was just going to come in and explain, hey, here's what we are doing here. And here's what our floating wind turbine design is all about. And here's why we chose... Clark's Cove is a place for the next phase of testing for it. And then if the Port Authority could add a little bit more information about the permitting process and all of that, that would be helpful. But I don't think it was going to turn into a referendum on offshore wind. But again, I didn't get to attend it. So if you were there, uh, give me a call. Let me know. 508-996-0500. Or you can send me an app chat message on the WBSM app. Uh, we can certainly talk more about that. We will talk more about the city council. And we will also talk about, I, I have an article up at WBSM.com and on the WBSM app of something that I didn't realize had been a stalwart of attempted legislation in the Bay State over the last decade now. But this came about because we see, you know, articles within our company that come from other places and we see kind of what the things are that they're writing about. And there was a story that was very popular last week in another market about how it's time has come for smoking with children in cars to be banned. So that if you are driving in your vehicle, but you have a child in the car, you could be fined for smoking in the vehicle. That's, that's what this person was writing about. And come to find out, there's only one state in the United States where it is banned, and that's Delaware. And that law only went into effect this past September. And I was surprised by that because 
there's been such a wave of attempts to curb smoking that I would have thought more states would have done something like that. And I remembered hearing about it in Massachusetts. I was a little bit conflated in my mind. I thought it was something that went all the way back to the what, 2005 ban on smoking in Massachusetts. And maybe it was. Maybe that was part of the original discussion and it just didn't get carried out then. But as I was digging more into it in the history of the attempts here in Massachusetts, I found out it's, it's come up multiple times. And at least two times it was brought up by now Bristol County Sheriff, but former second Bristol state representative, Paul Haro. That in 2013, he filed legislation that would make it a $100 fine if you are caught smoking in a vehicle with a child. Now, they define child for the purposes of this bill as a child young enough to have to sit in a child safety restraint. So not just a seatbelt, but they're talking about a high chair, not a high chair, a car seat or a booster seat. Now, I don't know, I don't remember off the top of my head what the age and weight qualifications are for how old a kid or how much a kid has to weigh to be required to still sit in one of those booster seats. But we're talking about, for all intents and purposes, kids 10 years old and younger, we'll say. I know my son got out of his booster seat a little bit sooner probably than than age-wise he would have because he was a tall kid. So he probably was tall, too tall for it, you know, or had the, the height and weight requirements before he had the age requirements. So I don't remember all the specific details. It's, that was a decade ago. But it, that was the definition of child for the purposes of this bill. And it also pointed out that I, I guess you couldn't be pulled over solely for that or if they pulled you over for that they couldn't then search your car they couldn't use that as as a re- that was it they they couldn't use that as a reason to then search your vehicle you were getting pulled over and fined for the smoking and that couldn't lead to something else so that they wouldn't be using that as an excuse to pull somebody over and and searching them and it didn't go it didn't get signed into law in 2013 it was brought back up again in 2017, it was brought back up again in 2019, and then it was brought back again this year. Obviously, now it's no longer Paul Haro. He, he left um, years ago to become the mayor of Attleboro and now the Bristol County Sheriff, so someone else picked up the mantle. But they've continued to try to ban this as recently as this most recent legislative session. And from what I can tell, it never made it out of committee this time around. So then what is your thought process on that? Because I'm, I'm anti-smoking. I don't think people should be smoking. But I also think that you've restricted where they can smoke in public. People are limiting it to their homes, their vehicles, the designated smoking areas in public places. And I think 
you could call this a little bit of an overreach. But I also understand the other side of it. Now, the, the title of this bill has been an act to protect little lungs. And I understand that concept of it, that, that thought process behind it, too, is because you have people who are driving in vehicles in small, confined spaces. You know, even if you're driving a big SUV or a big minivan or something, it's still a confined space. Even if you have the windows cracked, it's still a confined space and your child is breathing in the secondhand smoke. But I also look at it from the perspective, too, of, well, when they're home, you, you've said we can't regulate what people do in their own homes. If people want to smoke, they can smoke. And if they want to smoke around children, they can smoke around children. And for all we know, they're sitting right next to their, you know, seven-year-old kid and chain smoking. And that exposure to secondhand smoke is just as bad, if not worse, than being in the vehicle. So it seems to me like it's something that is restrictive unnecessarily for what it's trying to accomplish. If this child is going to be around secondhand smoke all the time, I don't know that the vehicle part of it makes a difference. And you, and you can say, well, what if it's not their own family member that they're in the car with? What if it's somebody that is an aunt or an uncle who's just picking them up and they wouldn't have had that secondhand smoke, smoke, secondhand smoke exposure anyway? Nah, I don't know. We already have rules against, you know, school bus drivers aren't smoking. Public bus drivers aren't smoking. I don't know what the individual cab company rules are. I would assume they don't want you to smoke in their cab. I know Uber doesn't have you smoke. Well, it doesn't allow you to smoke. So there's, I mean, I've had people that were in my car when I was an Uber driver and have said, do you mind if I have a cigarette? And I've always kind of looked at it from the perspective of, eh, look, somebody else is going to sit in that seat after you. Like, I really don't care. I don't want my car smelling like it, but somebody else is going to come into that seat after you and they might not want it. But there were times when I've let somebody do it if they put the window all the way down. There was a guy, I remember distinctly, he wanted to have a cigarette before we drove and he didn't tell me that till I got there. But he was more than happy to to pay for it as I parked on the side of the road and he opened the door and stood outside and smoked. I totally understand. But I think that it's being unnecessarily restrictive to try to pass this law because, first of all, how are you going to enforce it? And even Paul Haro, when he was the state rep and proposed this bill, admitted it would be hard to enforce. You need to have a, a police officer or a state trooper see you in the act of doing this. Know that there's a child in the car, which isn't always to tell, uh, easy to tell if you have a small child. And it could be something where, you know, you could pull somebody over because you see them smoking. And by the time you got to the car and we're investigating, there's no more cigarette. Well, then what do you use as the proof then? 
Well, I could smell smoke in the car. Well, if the person smokes in the car when there isn't a child in the car, it's going to smell like smoke. There was a cigarette in the ashtray. Okay, but that doesn't mean it was smoked when there was a child in the car. You know, there's, there's a lot of outs that could make that not stick, that fine not stick. So how many people that even get those $100 fines would end up paying those $100 fines? So is it a lot of bureaucratic nonsense for nothing, too? But I was also just surprised, as we've just talked out all the rationale, I was also just surprised that Massachusetts didn't ban smoking in cars with kids. Even though I, even though I think it's hard to enforce and probably an overreach, I'm still surprised they didn't do it. This is the state that said you can't buy flavored tobacco. So I'm actually quite shocked that it's come up that many times in the state legislature and has never made it into law. 508-996-0500. That's the number to call in and chime in. Good morning. You're on WBSM. Good morning, Tim. How are you doing this morning? Good, Tom. How are you? All right. I did attend the meeting last night. There was approximately 58 people in attendance. All the folks there were, were folks that were uh, affected uh uh, along West 35th Boulevard and Peyton Aram Avenue uh, from the New Bedford side. The panel included uh, the Port Authority, uh, Representative Cabral, uh, two people from the business, and uh, we also had uh, Representative uh, Hendricks, uh, Maki, uh, um, and also City Councilors uh, Ian Abreu, uh, Pereira, uh, Naomi Connie, um, uh, the new guy, Oliver, uh, I don't want to miss anybody. Uh, so it, in, in a sense, the representative part of government was there. Um, the, it got a little raucous in the beginning because people were a little bit angry as, as you said, you know, when, when they're left to speculate on what's going on, anything, uh, can rise up and, and, uh, a lot of anger in the beginning. Of the meeting, oh, John Bullard was also there. Um, the uh, folks had some pertinent questions regarding the company. Uh, the company uh, is a fledgling company. Uh, they're not going to be putting windmills in Clark's Cove. Um, they're there just to study um, what their new invention is about. Uh, it's going to take them a while to, to get established. Uh, he was apologetic on uh, rushing. Uh, to get this thing done, uh, he explained why and asked for our forgiveness. Uh, and that was all right. And then they did the presentation of the company and where they are so far. Um, uh, once that part was done, there was a lot of questions uh, regarding uh, the company's background and, and who's in charge and things of that nature and where their financing has come from. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot of complaints on how come uh, there isn't public hearings established all around this. Um, my argument, uh, which came at the end, after about two hours, was the permit that was issued. Um, the Port Authority said they had the authority uh, to issue that permit, that mooring permit, under uh, a waterways, I think it's 91A, he, he cited, uh, scenario. Unbeknownst to me, the Department of Marine Fisheries two months ago 
closed the entire cove uh, shell fishing, and that that's a trigger. Uh, when that happens, they have complete authority over the cove. So my question to the Port Authority guy was, did you contact the Department of Marine Fisheries? He said we didn't have to. Uh, we used 91A uh, waterways uh, legislation in order to issue the permit. And I said, well, I challenged that. Uh, once a, the cove is closed, all authority reverts to the Department of Marine Fisheries, particularly when you're attaching a mooring to uh, the ground uh, in the cove. Um, that contention was challenged after saying, no, that only the legislation I cited only uh, refers to uh, the harvesting of shellfish. I said, no, it doesn't. That's not what the law says. Uh, but my problem with it all is this effort establishes a precedent. Mm -hmm. And as you know, precedents are difficult to unwind. Uh, and the concern is, you know, where they're going to put more moorings in Clark's Cove, uh, assuming they had that authority when they, in my opinion, they don't. Um, because there are a lot of recreational uh, boats in the inner harbor. Uh, and the second in command at the Port Authority, I forget his name, said, look, we, we, we uh, guide those people to the outer harbor uh, whenever it's necessary. We have no intention of putting uh, more moorings uh, for those recreational boats, which I thought was kind of strange because it's been the position of the city uh, to really industrialize the, the inner harbor uh, for the, the Vineyard Wind project. He said no. And I went to the council and I said, you get that in writing and uh, you turn around and you put it in the city's comprehensive development plan so we'll have the force of law. Uh, I doubt they'll put it in writing. Um, in the meantime, uh, after the meeting, uh, the assistant Port Authority guy that I was talking said, there's never going to be any more shell fishing in Clasco. And I just looked at him. He says, you get all these outfalls. And then I started thinking of Brad Burke, who uh, basically was faced with the same dilemma when we first started. He reopened the cove. He reopened the cove on behalf of the people of the city of New Bedford. And I think he had 258 family permits out there. Uh, you had hand tongers working because he came in with a management plan. And apparently um, the folks that are in charge down there regarding all that haven't been able to satisfy the Department of Marine Fisheries uh, with a proper management plan. Uh, I mean, we treated it as a farm. Uh, my intent was to go a little bit into the history of it, going back to the Algonquins. You know, and, and, and the Wampanoags, uh, you know, and this, this bounty uh, that was given to us uh, in perfect harmony, you know, over time did get destroyed uh, through industrialization and, and the like. But still, even in that event, all the CSOs were still in place uh, when Burke uh, did a Herculean effort times 10 uh and uh, was able to come up with the management plan with cooperation with the Department of Marine Fisheries to open it under certain guidelines that were established. We rewrote the, the rules uh, and regulations for the Cove. Uh, the Department of Marine Fisheries was happy with that. We treated it as a farm, which it should still be treated for. And eventually, with proper uh, folks in place, it will reopen. It's going to take time. 
biggest issue was the treatment plant and uh, what screws out of there uh, and comes into the cove. Uh, every once in a while, you'll see a brown streak from one end of the cove to the other. And that's the, the outfall pipe that bubbles up out of there. And, and somehow that uh, the engineering of the plant has to be redone or figure out a way to sequester that pipe in such a way that uh, the, the stuff that comes out of it, the effluent that comes out of it gets dispersed uh, further out into the ocean. So it doesn't affect the cove. Um, so there, there was uh, quite a few questions, a bit of anger. Um, you could say that, that the company uh, acted in good faith. You know, they, they just applied for a permit, they got it. Uh, my concern was uh, the precedent that was being set by the Port Authority. And that's where I told the, the counselor, that's his fight. You know, the quality of life will change if there's more permits issued in Clark's Cove without the, 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 the backing of the Department of Marine Fisheries. Um, as you know, they, they just started under a special permit, uh, the aquaculture with the oysters, and that's a good thing, you know, because it, it, it goes to management and, and how uh, a company like that can do what they're doing with the guidance of the Department of Marine Fisheries, an aquaculture-type scenario. But uh, in the meantime, uh, there's 11 million seed that the city won through mitigation on the upper harbor when they were dredging up there. I don't know if that's been planted or it's being held in abeyance, uh, but these are some of the things that the shellfish department can answer. Um, most of the contention uh, was with folks that, you know, for example, uh, one guy had a, had a windmill in his yard, but th then they went after him uh, to do things that he, he simply couldn't afford to do. Uh, this was back when I guess uh, Howland uh, was promoting uh, residential wind and uh, the smaller turbines for your backyard kind of thing. Uh, they also said that uh, this particular company will go all over the world eventually. That's their plan. You know, but that's all down the road kind of stuff, and it really doesn't affect us. Right. The last thing, the last thing is what you had mentioned the other day about uh, the URI plan to study wind in New Bedford. Uh, I would reject that outright. And uh, I don't understand when you look at the area under New Bedford's jurisdiction, where are they going to do this study? Are they going to stop putting up stuff in, in Clark's Cove uh, for wind and nominators? Are they going to put it on the hurricane barrier? Where? Uh, none of that has been explained before. And don't forget, we're in competition uh, with Quonset Point in Rhode Island. And uh, I wouldn't give them a leg up on anything. Uh, we were first. That's important. Uh, and uh, as a supporter of Vineyard Wind, uh, I'd recommend that the city reject their ability to study wind in, in our area. There's no reason for it. If they want to study wind, go to Narragansett Bay. You got uh, oodles and oodles of ocean. It's called the Ocean State. So why they chose New Bedford uh, tells me that there's something uh, wrong in Egypt, so to speak. Sure. Uh, I gotta well, just, the meeting was, yeah, go ahead. I'll say I just, I just got to hold you there because we got to go to the news, but I appreciate all the information and, uh, and, and thank you for not only attending that, but for asking all the pertinent questions. Yeah. I mean, it's on behalf of New Bedford and that's my last foray in the public arena. So <laughs> have a good day. No, you know, you know, it's not going to be the end, Tom. You know, you're not going to let this go. You're going to stay with this, right? No, I, I, I have other service that I do for my church and that, that consumes most of my time. And to me, 
it's a community thing where I live, and, and that right now is more important. Well, thank you for doing it, and we'll we'll talk again soon. Yeah, see ya. All right. And uh, we can get your reaction to that. But right now, I do have to go into the newsroom for Ariel. We'll be back after the news. The U.S. is criticizing Israel for the growing civilian death toll in Gaza. Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke at a press conference Thursday and said it remains imperative that Israel put a premium on civilian protection. An estimated 17,000 Palestinians have been killed since the war against Hamas started on October 7th and over 300 were reportedly killed on Thursday alone. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is threatening to prosecute any doctors who perform an abortion on a woman who had just won a court order allowing her to obtain one. A district court judge on Thursday said Texas abortion ban might actually cause the woman to lose her ability to bear children. Paxton, however, says the judge's order does not shield doctors in Texas from prosecution. Forecasters say a massive storm is going to clobber the eastern half of the U.S. this weekend. Severe thunderstorms, strong winds, heavy rain, and snow are forecast to affect millions. The storm will take shape today across 1,200 miles of the U.S. from the Gulf Coast to the Canadian border and will gain strength on Saturday. Police say the gunman who killed three people in a Las Vegas shooting spree had sent white powder to at least 22 universities. Anthony Polito went on a rampage Wednesday at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Prior to the shooting, police say the 67-year-old professor had mailed 22 letters laced with white powder to colleges across the U.S. The House is censuring Congressman Jamal Bowman for pulling a fire alarm ahead of a big vote. The chamber on Thursday voted 214 to 191 to censure the New York Democrat. Bowman pulled the alarm in a congressional building last September during a vote to fund the government. He pleaded guilty to one count of falsely pulling a fire alarm. The Anti-Defamation League and other authorities are investigating a plane that waved an anthem inflammatory banner at Harvard University. The small plane flew low over the Cambridge campus on Thursday, waving a Palestinian flag and a banner that read, Harvard hates Jews. A conservative group is believed to be behind the flight. In sports, the Celtics battle a divisional rival at TD Garden tonight. The Knicks comes to town, having dropped each of the previous two meetings against the Seas. And Celtics big man Kristaps Porzingis is expected to play after missing the last five games due to a calf strain. Bailey Zappi led the New York the New England Patriots to a 21-18 upset win over the Steelers on Thursday night football. Zappi became the first New England quarterback since Tom Brady in 2018 to toss three first-half touchdown passes. The Patriots remain at the bottom of the AFC East at 3-10. and And the Sabres put the brakes on a four-game losing streak following a 3-1 win over the Bruins in Boston. Brad Marchand lit the lamp for his 12th goal of the season in the second period. Linus Ilmark stopped 33 of 36 shots as Boston saw its three-game winning streak come to an end. The Bruins will host the Coyotes tomorrow afternoon. Now let's take a look at your local forecast with ABC6. Happy Friday morning, everybody. It is chilly out there. Temperatures in the mid-to-upper 20s with some clouds. This afternoon, temperatures will be climbing into the mid-to-lower 40s. 46 is the normal high for Providence. Overnight tonight, some clouds will linger. Temperatures dipping into and around the 30-degree mark. And then for tomorrow, a beautiful day is in store, with the exception with mostly cloudy skies. But temps will be climbing into the mid-50s. Be sure to watch ABC6 for my full seven-day forecast from the ABC6 weather 
Center. I'm meteorologist Sassi del Carmen on New Bedford's News Talk Station 1420 WBSM. I'm Ariel Dorsey for WBSM News. Stay up to date with New Bedford's News Talk Station WBSM and get breaking news alerts with the WBSM app. Stream WBSM live crystal clear with one touch. The WBSM app. You can also hit us up on app chat or open line voicemails on the WBSM app. Good morning. You're next on WBSM. Morning, Tim. How you doing? Not bad. Not bad. So I got to say, uh, WBSM reminds me of like the, the town hall style where we can get a whole host of like different personalities that come in. So you, you have your your conspiracy theorists, you have your people that are really uh, energetic and, and really gung-ho, and then you have your people who are kind of serene and very intelligent and, and full of, like, information. That's that's Tom, right? That's that's our guy, Tom. Absolutely. He, uh, he's, he's definitely a, uh, a lot of information, and he he's a, brings a lot of value to the, to the station and to the callers. So, you know, WBSM, it's a small market, but we got a lot of stuff. I, I think of it like if we were to go back in time to the 1700s and right before the revolution uh, and and sat in a tavern and where they were trying to come, you know, come together and figure out what they got to do to, to kind of straighten out this area. And you had like the, the Sam Adams and the Thomas Paines, and then you had like just the farmer guy who's just like, I'm just going to burn the place down. We have all that on WBSM. And it really is, you know, it shows how passionate people are in the community about a variety of different things, but certainly how yeah. much they care about, you know, having their voice be heard. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's so much better than, uh, than even just your, your typical letter to the editor. You know, I used to read those all the time just because there were some people that I would look for. They would always write something in. Uh, but now that that's gone by the wayside, you know, WBSM, you know, talk radio itself has just been the, the place where your, your letter to the editor can be put right out there immediately. So I, thought, I just thought, you know, listening to Tom and I was like, he calls in all the time. and He's always got like really good information. And uh, just so he knows he's appreciated and, and we appreciate what he does. Um well, on, on another note, yesterday was Pearl Harbor Day, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I looked up my grandfather's, dra- uh, not draft card, registration card from uh, World War II, which pretty, was pretty well. Ancestry.com allows you to, to actually look it up for free. You don't need a membership. No. So, which is, which is really good. If you're, if you're looking up military records, you can actually do that for free. Uh, so if anybody out there is, is interested, so I looked up his, his registration card and he wasn't drafted. The reason why he wasn't drafted is because he registered before he was drafted because he wanted to protect his two, his, uh, his two brothers. He wanted to make sure that they didn't get drafted. So he went out and, you know what, I'll just sign up myself and he did it. He went out and he, uh, signed up, 
when it went into the Navy, actually ended up on the USF Macon, M-A-C-O-N. And it was basically like a, a, a test ship. So it just got commissioned and uh, they, they would test it out. They put him on it and, you know, his entire crew. He was lucky he never saw combat. He actually ended up in the Caribbean. He would go out and he'd float around in the Caribbean. He actually has some Iraqis up, up in the attic um, that my father still still talks about from uh, from Cuba. But he was he was one of the lucky ones that, that didn't get you know, didn't get to see combat, but he did he did serve. But I thought that was pretty wild as you know, good information for anybody out there looking for a, a little bit of their own family history in the military that you can go on Ancestry.com and, and look it up for free. Yeah, that's huge. And, and you know, even if you do get an Ancestry membership, there's a lot of things that that, um, that are beneficial to that. Like you can get a membership to newspapers.com and you can access all kinds of old newspapers. Unfortunately, not local ones from here because they don't, they don't provide them to that service because they're not digitized. But um, I've, I've used that for a long time for some of my research projects that I would work on for the TV shows that I worked on. And it's you can find so much more than just a, a family tree. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've really come to enjoy. It. I get kind of lost in the rabbit hole on on a lot of my family stuff, and just but the really interesting stuff, obviously, is is the, the military records. And you know, my my father my father was actually drafted back in into Vietnam. He didn't serve in Vietnam itself, but he served during Vietnam. Uh, so he's in there. It's just, it's just really really wild and. I just figured I'd put that out there that, you know, that's the type of stuff that you can see. I, I even went back with my, my grandfather who immigrated from Portugal. Uh, I got his, his flight uh, list where he came in. He didn't come on a, on a boat. He came in on a flight. And you could see his alien card and he got all that too. That's not free. That I actually got when you when you do your yourself, uh, when, you, when you get a test, mm -hmm. uh, they give you like a month for free of full access kind of just to get you in and get you sucked in. Um, but I spent like hours and hours just digging through all the material that they had. And you can actually get all kinds of random stuff. And it's really cool. Like you just find like my, my grandfather's old um, signature, just an, a signature of a, of a document that he had to sign back in like 1940 when he came over. I was like, wow. Oh, wow. Look at this. Like, it's crazy. It's really, really nuts. Very but, yeah, cool. I think I let everybody know, especially on the, the Eve past uh, Pearl Harbor Day, uh, Ancestry.com. You can look up your family history on the military records for free. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, Tim. Take Have care. a good day. You too. And uh, I'll say this too. Even if you get... So a lot of people will get an Ancestry membership and they'll sign up for however long it takes them to do their, their genealogy research that they're doing to put together their own you know family tree and information. And then they'll cancel their subscription. But... There, it is an ever-evolving thing because people are always going in there and contributing what they, what they have learned and uh, Ancestry verifies information and then puts out new information when they have it. And it's, it's a lot, there's a lot attached to it. Um, I actually had a family member, I, I shouldn't say a family member because I don't, I don't even know if we're directly related. I don't know how far removed we are. But someone reached out to me years ago and said, can you tell me how many kids your parents had and what their names are and what their kids' names are? And, you know, and I'm like, what? This, no, this is a scam. This is somebody trying to get password information or something. Uh, but in the email, she said, you know, my name is whoever and, uh, and I know these people and these people. And so I 
contacted other family members who might know who she is, and they said, yeah, no, no, she's that's that's really a person. And so then I spoke to her on the phone. This is in the pre-AI days when they could fake it and have somebody else. But I spoke to the person, and I talked to her, and I got to the point where I felt comfortable with this is a legitimate person who is legitimately doing genealogy research and wanted to finish it. And she said, you know, when I'm done, I will send you the completed family tree. So I have, at least as of, you know, five or six years ago, the most complete family tree of the Weisberg side that anybody's aware of. Now, my mother's side of the family, it's a little bit more of a common name. So that's in that case, it's probably going to be, you know, harder for somebody to trace it. There's a lot of rumor and stuff about who was actually related to who. And my grandfather had a, a family before he married my grandmother. So there's a lot of ins and outs to that one. I don't know that anybody's taken the time to, to sit down and do all of that. But it's nice to at least be able to have one of them, one side of the family done. I got to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few moments. And back to the phones, 508-996-0500. You're next on WBSM. Good morning. Morning. Uh, December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, right? Mm-hmm. I know, uh, I know a little bit about history. We declared war on the Japanese Empire because of Pearl Harbor. And Hitler was applauding the action of what they did to us. And so uh, they declared war on us four days later, December 11th, along with Italy. And the same day, the United States declared war on Germany and Italy. We were fully engaged, fully engaged in war. After trying to avoid it for as long as possible. Exactly. And trying to avoid it. And uh, there it was. Uh, the uh, the actual war began um, September 1st. I'm Polish. September 1st, 1939. Germany invaded Poland and World War II had started officially. Hitler was on uh, on his march. And uh, when, when uh, he took Poland... Uh, after a few days, Russia declared that uh, Hitler was a real deal because uh, Russia got annihilated trying to take Poland previously. So uh, today, Poland can take out Russia. People don't understand that. Poland doesn't even need to be in NATO, uh, even though it helps. But uh, of all the countries in, in Europe, Western Europe, Poland has the ability to completely take out and take the land if they wanted to of Russia. It's amazing the military system they have that we don't even discuss. And it's amazing as they brought a country to Ukraine that Biden hasn't used that asset through NATO. Well, I appreciate you calling in and sharing the history with us. Well, well, the previous caller um, alerted me to the fact that my brain isn't completely dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I have family members. We have blood in the game, skin in the game, in my family, and in um, World War One as well. And uh, my grandfather, who died while I was sitting on his lap, he was a World War One doughboy veteran. He was a barber at 27 years old before he even <laughs> thought of going into World War One. Oh wow! He got shot five times, and he was mustard gassed. And of course, he came home a 100, you know, veteran and everything. 
but he never could do Bob Rain again because his hands were unsteady and everything from the uh, that mustard gas, which gave him a horrific cough. Sometimes I watch an old horror movie. It reminds me of my grandfather coughing when, when they use, uh, you know. But that that I'm got way off the track. But yeah, I like to share that that the, the fact that Poland has recovered very well and could actually handle the war between uh, Russia, Ukraine as a third party without even being a proxy. They have the, the they have the missiles also, but people don't really know. We, propaganda doesn't allow that information out there. But as a Polish person i don't have dual citizenship i just would like to let you know if it does hit the fan in world war three starts you watch poland unload like you've never seen okay thank you for the call you have a good day and uh i do have to take a break we'll be back in just a few moments Um, 